Hello and welcome to Info Black Archive End of Season. What happened? So, James, what happened? <laughs> uh, the end of season has happened, which means we can talk about what happened, such as Ice Warriors, such as the tube being infected by foam, um, and a woman screams over and over and over again until we finally decide to get rid of her. So, that is what happened. So, now over to our channel sponsor. His face. Wait, I was just waiting. I thought he had something on the soundboard. No, no. <laughs> we have a new. Owen has a new soundboard, uh, listeners, and I thought he was going to be playing with it a little. I did very nearly do attempt um, sponsorship thing there just to confuse you. Well, I thought for a second that like, oh, we got to deal with Squarespace. Oh, that'll be exciting. No, um, other website builders are available. But we are, today um, we are sponsored by this glass. It's very. It's mm, that's a nice glass. We're offering zero percent off of these glasses in IKEA. Can you do that thing with the glass where you like make it make noise, like the noise when you like twirl around? No, is the answer to that question. Well, I can't hear shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we are today discussing the state of season five so it's it's patrick trouston's second season along with jamie and we also had victoria along for a ride this time round. so mm. what did you think of this season overall so this is the big initial thoughts section yes. it's a it's a really mixed bag i, I think i think we were saying before we got recording because we've been setting up the tech for a while that we both have a lot to say about it that goes both ways my my issue with this entire season is something which I've noticed while doing this. I don't know if it's because I'm editing so much further behind than I normally do or what, but I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. If you're thinking about when we watch these episodes, what does it feel like we watched more recent? Evil of the Daleks mm. or Enemy of the World? See, I know it's Enemy of the World, but Evil of the Daleks is the one that sticks out. There's a, there's, and this is a big problem with a lot of these episodes, is they go in one ear and they come right out yeah. the other. You just don't remember a lot because about them. Because we recorded it. We, we watched Enemy, uh, Evil of the Daleks together when I had COVID. That was late September. Yeah, to show you how far back that but was. to me, at least, that feels, in, in my memory feels more recent than say um what what's the ocean one called uh fury from, fury the, from deep. the deep it feels more recent than fury from the deep which we only watched what two weeks ago and that's the last one we watched yeah about two weeks ago i'm just sat there going it feels like this for all of the episodes it feels like we watched the faceless ones so much more recently than all the other ones this season and we watched that when i was still in bournemouth i'm now in scotland mm, well reading actually yeah no we were I watched it in Bournemouth. I think we talked about it at different, uh, a different location, but yeah. Yeah. But but that but that tells you a lot. There's a few episodes... I, actually, before I even get into the whole there's a few episodes thing, I think there's a prevailing issue, and I think this is why a lot of the episodes are forgetful, is that season five, we've taken a real leap to six-part stories. Apart from Tomb of the Cybermen, everything we've watched has been, has been a six-parter, and that has affected things because... By and large, I'm not convinced about the six-parter as being the right way to go for a Doctor Who story. It's been something which we've been hung up on for so long. Is that, for general rule, 
Yes, there are exceptions to this rule, there always are. The general rule of thumb for us has always been, if it's a four-parter, we'll probably enjoy it, or we at least enjoy the pacing of it. As soon as it becomes a six-parter, we have pacing problems. We're pretty much all stalk Almost every Even time. Even the ones we like, we admit there's pacing issues, or they've used some sort of bizarre, cheaty way around it, like splitting up into two pseudo-stories. Which yeah. is fine, but... If you're trying to tell a core story, there's there's it's one of two ways that it's gone this season. Either you get a very hodgepodge mix of some episodes where a lot of stuff happens and it goes really quickly and you think, oh, we're rushing about a bit. And then a lot of episodes which are really slow or it's all too slow and then they realise they've got to end it. And then it's like, oh, God, we had too much time and now we don't. And then they all end it all in episode six where it goes way too quickly. And it rushes to the end and you feel like it's not very um, fulfilling. Yeah, it, everything feels a little bit hollow, doesn't it? There's always feels like there's time where just nothing is going... Like, not just time, entire episodes where things just don't seem to happen. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about uh, Fury from the Deep, mm. uh, the last recording we did for this series, saying that there were one or two episodes that could have been cut from the story quite easily without doing a lot, without doing a lot of work around to explain why because the plot just didn't move forward it's the basics of writing really move your plot along but it just felt like scenes didn't have purpose and well they did have purpose but only in around three episodes time by which point nothing's been discussed about it either it just kind of happens wait three episodes and result which is fine there's some interaction in the middle but there wasn't mm. yeah there's no development of it but this is so this has been the issue of this series that doesn't mean that it's devoid of any quality though because there are one or two episodes that are very mm. solid and good watches and worth the time at the same time there's a couple that maybe aren't but you still get a decent season that is worth having a bit of an investigation on and i think it's going to produce one of our most interesting end of season discussions because there's a lot to say either way yes yeah, so as such shall we begin Yes, do and Owen, for the listeners at home, do we have our new Oscar-style playout system still in vogue? Yes, we do. To attempt to stop us rambling on for quite a while, which if you listen to our pre- <laughs> which we previous end-of-season re- reviews, we talk forever about particular meaningless points. So in an attempt to sort of compact it down a smidge, we will be played out after four minutes. Our first reward is going to be something which is... For me, quite difficult, I think, but I think you might yell at me for saying this. First award is Best Companion. But for me, this is a very hard one to give. I don't feel like any other companions particularly were that good. No, I I mean, there's only two, so that kind of limits what you can pick anyway. But in terms of... If you compare how Jamie was in Season 4 to now at the end of season five, it does just feel like the character's been um, it's been neutered mm. a bit. There was just not a lot for him to do. It seemed like he was less active in stories and they kind of lost the banter aspect that made it so good in season four when, when the Doctor and Jamie were kind of riffing off one another. And then you have Victoria, who, I mean, if you've listened to any of the, the reviews we've done of the episodes, you'll know is, has been problematic. Yeah. So, so what have you gone for? Because I'm guessing it's neither it, of them and you found a uh, twist No, here. I've just put Jamie because Jamie is still the better of the two. All right, yeah, that's but what I've put as well. Equally, neither of them were just that. Neither of them were just not that good. 
I mean, shall we talk about Jamie in a little more depth? Yeah. Seeing as we still have three and something minutes before they start, mm-hmm. we get played out. I think the issue has been with this season that there is too much reliance on Troughton to solve story yeah. problems. And so what you get is the two companions end up sort of on their own story a lot of the time that isn't that important to the main story. Like they maybe discover one thing that might be key later on, but for the amount of time it takes, it feels sort of unworth, not worthwhile. Mm. Also, they were trying to play up the Jamie Victoria love story, which I also think is worth a mention, which I didn't think that worked all that well. I can't, it, to me, it felt like they had kind of like the inkling idea of, oh, maybe we should do this, maybe they should do this, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do it. And right at the end, they went, oh, yes, let's do this. Yeah, they were like, they were, they were dipping their toe in the water, trying to see if it was the right temperature. And they're dipping it and dipping it and dipping it. And then by Fury of the Deep, um, someone comes along from the BBC and pushes them into the sea. Yeah. It did feel a little bit uh, odd, it, didn't it? But the issue with that is, even though they were only kind of dipping their toes in the water, it seemed to be in some episodes that it was all Jamie was as a character, was just a love interest for Victoria, who was a weak character. Yeah. So that whole love arc not only didn't make a weak character better, which I think they wanted to do. It also made a strong character weaker because they almost had to bring him down to her level in a, in a, in a, like a writing sense. And so the love story aspect didn't have much going for it. It was this kind of like vapid waste of time while the story was going on around it. There was no development or arcing to it really until the end. Yeah. So I guess you went Jamie as well for best companion because as we said, there's only two. I did, yeah. It's, I mean, in spite of the issues I've already said, compared to Victoria, Jamie's is just a much better character. Still, there is more to him, and you still you still watch him in a few episodes this season, and you have a good time. I think he's really good in Web of Fear. It's probably the only episode I'd say he had a solid go with, yeah. which felt about right. But then, like we were saying before, there's issues in Enemy of the World in particular. He feels kind of iffy, but there we go. Um, for whatever reason, I can't get our um, play out thing to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just saying Owen was giving me um, a sort of circular finger of wrap up, but I can't hear it either. It's not playing, so, so I'm going to try re-downloading it. Um, right, so our worst companion then is pretty obvious, as we were saying. We've only got two options. <laughs> yeah, deep dive into Victoria Waterfield, shall we? There just doesn't seem to be much there. It's like the combination of all of the weak parts of Susan, Polly, um, Dodo, Vicky, all into one sort of being. And I just kind of don't know what to do with her beyond that. Like we have a very interesting introduction to her in the Tomb of Sidemen where the Doctor sits her down, has a conversation about grief and all that kind of stuff. But that's the only bit which stands out in my head as being something which was remotely it interesting is, about her character. And, and, and I'm glad you actually reminded me of that scene because it kind of slipped my mind. It's a really good bit of writing in Tomb of the Sidemen. And you think that, that Victoria is going to be not an insular character, but but you're going to get a lot into what's going on in her head. And I thought, well, that's good. We haven't really seen that with the other female companions. They've kind of just been there to realistically make tea and moan and scream. And you think, okay, maybe there's something here. Obviously, we meet her in Evil of the Daleks last season. She loses her dad. Um, was it Edward or Edmund Waterfield? Edward, wasn't it? I can't remember off the top of my head. 
I think it was Edward. Uh, yes, obviously, Senor Waterfield dies, and, and you think you're going to get this exploration. What you get is nothing but screams, no real purpose in stories they could find for her. And when and when they finally gave her something that was actually story relevant, it almost felt like a meta joke because her screams solved the fury of the deep. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, her entire thing just seemed a bit flawed, her reason for existing. Hopefully we'll get a better companion next time. She's now left us, but we'll see. But, but we haven't had a good female companion yet. That's the truth, apart from yeah. Barbara. But, but they managed to figure it out minute one, so they haven't figured it out since. It's just been different attempts at the same character that feel the same. Do you same. think it's because Barbara was an older character, while since we've only had younger female characters, which they just don't quite know how to write? Yeah, I think there's something to that. There is something to that, because the way Barbara was viewed was more like someone who'd sort of been there and could be motherly mm. or maternal, and that gave the writer something to work with. What you've got with with Vicky uh, and Dodo, season after, and Polly, and now Victoria, is a similar outlook on the world where they're kind of fresh-faced and realistically they're there to be eye candy, particularly Victoria, I think, because they don't give them an awful lot to run with. They're just there to be the damsel in distress a lot of the time. But it's almost declined as we've gone. It, yeah, it's also weird because they never really mention their backgrounds or bring it in. Because like with Jamie, for instance, we've got the, the Phantom Piper and all that kind of stuff looking back at his history from not from future mm. Earth. But then we have people like Victoria, who's also from past Earth. So we never get that sort of interaction with her. We had Vicky, who, who was from the future, but never really got into it. Yeah, there were only really small mentions of that. One thing that really stands out to me is that when Victoria leaves, and I think this is one of the biggest issues of their character, which was revealed, is that in Fruit from the Deep, she sort of says, yeah, I'll settle down in this time frame. But it's like 2040, 2050. Like, what do you have in this Mm. time frame? We've just kind of said it because we've decided we need to get you off. There was just no thinking behind the character. And then the love story thing we've already gone over, but didn't work. Okay, so... Enough of a downer, because let's be honest, the companions this time have been quite down. Yeah, it's not been great, but it's it's the way who goes. It's the way the TARDIS cookie crumbles. Yes. So shall we move on to our next award? I think so. What, and the next award uh, is best setting, uh, listeners, which is sort of the best world that we get to visit. The best, you know, whether it's place, time, interesting mood anything that makes you think that's a good setting to put a Doctor Who story in. And I was wondering, Owen, what is your best setting of season five? Web of Fear. Excellent. Mine is Web of Fear. And I'm not surprised that we've agreed on that because it is it, brilliant. It does. We've we've referenced it before, which when it's in, in their eyes, present day England, it's sort of a cheat because we've already got that context. I don't need to build any more context up about it. But even then, the characters they bring hmm. in, the, even for stuff which we supposedly should know from the prequel story from The Abominable Snowman, all of that stuff is still explained to us in a good enough way for us to understand what's going on. The, compa- the characters are perfect. The twist is really well done. And it all just kind of comes together in one sweet and happy package of a really good setting where you can generally see how these characters got on pre-us coming here. 
Yeah, in terms of the way they world build the characters, that's great. I think the reason I've gone with it, though, is because more than any other story, the setting is so crucial as to how the story operates. Because you have the, the, the framework of them being in the London Underground, where if you know the tube well enough, even today, because the tube since the 60s hasn't hugely changed, is that you can actually get an idea of spatially where all your characters are just if you have the knowledge of the tube and so it really helps you understand where they yeah, are in the story I remember you were saying and, you, you were having a little giggle to yourself tracking them along the tube, tube map in your head yeah and it, and it is accurate like they, they did their research and got it geographically right not only that I mean I remember you telling me that when they built the set the whole thing was that the tube didn't allow them to film there so the BBC had to create a replica of the set and it was so good the, the two people thought they'd actually just done it anyway. Yeah. And that tells you how good the production design is. It's probably the best production value I've seen on a Who episode, and that's period. Yeah, particularly the introduction. The introduction to it as well is so different to what we've seen before, because it's normally it's kind of very obviously being done in a sort of set kind of design. But that sort of mm. spooky setting where we go into the, I think it's a museum, and professors there go, no, mm. I need this back. I need this back now. It really has a sense of atmosphere, which we haven't really had before. Yeah, it's definitely the most atmosphere. I think Tomb of the Sidemen has a decent atmosphere. And I even like Fury of the Deep's atmosphere at the start. It's kind of got this off-putting feel about it. But it's definitely the web of fear that gets it the most right. It's kind of like a thick fog over the whole story. It makes you think, oh, something is not right here. It gets, It just gets under your skin in the right way. Yeah. Is that everything you wanted to say for it? Yeah, I think I, I like I like the foam stuff in a way. It, it's just got this interesting look to it as well. Yeah, it gives a sense of threat. Oh, I can hear I the play it. out. Hey, that's nice. Don't we love the play out music? This is this is end of season. What happened? Heritage. This song. Should we have a moment with it? And let's move on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the next award, Owen? So we've looked at the best setting. Let's move on to the negative, the cynical, the worst setting. James? Yeah. Uh, There's a a couple of contenders, I think. Um, But in the end, I decided to go with the setting from the Ice Warriors, which is a call because I think... It was kind of a regurgitation of a lot of things we've seen before not done as well. It's not just that for me, because I've also gone with the Ice Warriors. Oh, you have? Okay, we're agreeing on it. It's such a 2D angle. Like, you've got the... They're trying to have the all pro-something, anti-something, let's have them fight together. But what we essentially have is the Mm. pro side, and then this little P in the corner is the anti-side towards our main protagonist group. And it just felt annoying and a little bit boring. Yeah, I think in terms of a setting, in contrast with Web of Fear, where it feels like the setting is so important to the story that it couldn't exist without it, this is just, it's almost like a big afterthought. They thought, oh, it's Ice Warriors, we need ice. And they've just thrown in ice seat sets, and just done it almost as generically as possible. And we've seen these things before. You know, there was ice sets that have been used in a few episodes, a few sort of wintry themed ones. I'm trying to think of a one with ice, actually, in the previous series. Anything with ice? Uh, we've definitely had one. I can't, uh, we had one, Keys of Marinus. 
Your favourite guy. Yeah, he's Maris' on the ice thing. But it's done mm. a lot better because that's the episode where Barbara and there's that guy who invites them in and is saying that they shouldn't leave. That's like a really nice psychological episode where the ice setting adds to mm. the mood. But this one, the ice doesn't add anything other than to go, hey, the, the villains are the ice warriors. And they're from Mars anyway, so who cares? Yeah, like I'm really confused about where the ice warriors bit comes into it because they, yes, they were found in the ice. But that's good. That's, that's not like their founding characteristic. No, their founding characteristic is really their Martianness. I mean, you could have gone with Martian. Ice Warriors is yeah. a cooler name, I guess, and that's what you call them as humans. But then if the Ice Warriors come back in another episode and start identifying themselves as Ice Warriors, then that feels pretty retrograde to the diverse species that we've introduced didn't to. Didn't they actually come back in New Who, but were also found within ice? Yes. It's like yeah, calling the calling that species ice warriors is genuinely like calling the Daleks plunger boys. Yeah, we just picked on one characteristic and gone. Well, that's your name now. Or, or, or for nuclear robots, because they were found in <laughs> nuclear wasteland or, um, and they're robots. Yes, or the um, statues with stone hands, right, and wings. It, it just feels really yeah. retrograde. And yeah, I like the design of the Ice Warriors. I still think they're a decent villain, but the story and the setting don't add anything yeah. to that. Shall we move on to the next thing? Let's do it. And that award, uh, listeners, is the best story end. Now, we've we've had a lot of discussion on previous Black Archive episodes about the way Doctor Who ends its stories can be ropey uh, around this era. It Very sort rushed. Of got better last season, and then despite the fact which half the episodes have got this ma- a lot longer runtime, they've seemed to have gotten worse this time round. I don't know if that's just me. No, I agree. And it's actually for different reasons than it used to be. Because I remember in the first two seasons, and this is why we, we put this award in so early, you'd have the story and then only about five minutes to the end, they'd solve it with this big deus ex machina and then they'd just run off. And you think, oh, really? Are we done? And, th- and the sensor rights obviously happened and mm. that happened. Now, though, the issues with some of the endings are almost too long and they're too drawn out and they feel like they're going on forever and ever and ever when the story really ended 10 minutes So. What is your best story end? So my best story end um, isn't really based on the actual quality of it. I, I just think it's funny how it ends, okay. which is um, the enemy of the world, which is a particularly hilarious sequence. Where, uh, so if you haven't seen this episode, there's two Patrick Troutons is the whole gamut. Uh, Patrick Trouton is both the Doctor and a sort of a nefarious world figure called Salamander. Yeah who has um, plans for food supplies and things. Um, anyway, Salamander is done for, basically. They've all sorted it. But before the Doctor Jamie and Victoria can lead, Salamander actually gets his way into the TARDIS and then gets thrown out of the oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is particularly funny. I almost put that as best death, but I thought it was worth a good story. My, I've gone the other way. Mine is the, um, the Web of Fear. Just because yeah, I enjoyed the twist. I liked the fact we had it end in a different way with a doctor playing his cards too close to his chest so he it, mm. the plans which everyone else ended up doing backfired on what the doctor wanted it was such a different way of showing how these things work 
And it's probably the only time in the series where you feel the Doctor's vulnerable, which I think has been a big problem with a lot of these episodes, is you just feel like the Doctor will solve everything without really a, an, any issue with the character. Yeah. Yeah, at least it does it, but gives you this interesting bittersweet note. So yeah, both endings definitely valid, but Patrick Chatham being thrown out into the time vortex just has this mm. effect. <laughs> so, we've looked at the positives of that one. It's time to go on to the negative. For worst story end sponsored by the Sensorites. So what, yes, what have, the administrator will so be dealt with. So what one did you choose? Here are you from the deep, obviously. Um... God alive, the pacing on this is weird. Because you've got the first two episodes, nothing happens. And then they shove it all into almost episode five. And then the first five minutes of episode six, there's about 15 minutes of bloody epilogue. Yeah. Because they've got to they've got to wrap up Victoria's story. But then for some reason we're spending two or three scenes on like that East End commander guy from the from the oil rig who sort of now he's like gonna give people days off and let them sleep. And then why are we there? Like, we could just end the story ages. It just takes forever and ever and ever. And it's an awfully paced story. Yeah. What's yours, Owen? So mine is, this is, I don't know, we're, we're doing something which we haven't done since like the beginning. We're recording with webcams so we can see my expressions. I don't know if you saw me yes. smirk a slight tad when you mentioned your best story mm. end was the enemy of the world. Is your worst story end the enemy of the world? Yes. Why? <laughs> because it felt very sensorized. We found humans in a cave. And then we never resolved that. We don't know if they survived. Mm. We don't know if they got out. We don't know anything about what happened to them. They were just there. And we went, oh, look. Look at that. There's some humans. On second thoughts, I have just remembered. But does that count? Because that's sort of an episode... That twist is mental. Like, if you haven't listened to our Enemy of the World um, podcast we did, you, should, you definitely need to go and listen to that because uh, we have this absolute meltdown <laughs> about a bit in it where basically Salamander's trapped about 200 humans in a, bit, in a cave and it comes out of yeah, nowhere. But that is the ending because they explode Salamander's base. They don't get out mm. humans from for part, from for caves. We just go, explode, explode. We go in for TARDIS. Your, and it's like, your scene happens, which you like, but then we don't know anything. It's we don't know funny. anything else about what happened to those humans. I sort of remember. Was there an implication that they were kind of being led out that that sort of back way round that um the the guy had taken? You know, the guy yeah. that was really like, I need to get to the surface the whole time and arguing with his girlfriend. I don't think so, but we don't know because for, for cave it is left because very that's blank, how Samander escapes is via that exit and we never see them it's such a bizarre so place, that's it? why it's the ending for me is that it just never resolves itself <laughs> I, I'll still I still won't forget because didn't we did we watch Enemy of the World together didn't we and I, and I remember or was it like separate I remember messaging you about it just going what on earth have they yeah. done it is totally out there. You, if you haven't seen it, it's worth it just for the response you'll get to that twist. It's mental. Next up is it's one of my favourite uh, Black Archive Awards. We've done it since season one as well. And it's the one that, that really reminds you that at the end of the day, being involved in a Doctor Who story would be absolutely horrifying. Uh, and it's the best Scream Award. And I would definitely do one if I was involved in any one of these stories. But, Owen, who do you think 
has delivered the creme de la creme, the top of the tree, the most high-pitched, loud, annoying scream of them all. Victoria saved the world because she saved the world with it. Well, hey, it's a stupid... <laughs> and that's exactly what I've said. It's the stupidest scream. It shouldn't have happened, but it's still there and it's still saved the world, so I still have to give it to it. And, well, hey. And also, the scream has been recorded and controlled and synthesized to be as annoying as possible and it's annoying for you as it is for the whatever they are seaweed creatures in uh, Fury of the Deep it is more annoying for the fact that it is a story point that Victoria's scream is now going to save things is it a joke I have wondered this whether it was actually intended to be a referential thing to the fact that Victoria screams throughout the entire season and doesn't really do much else I don't know because it plays like it. it. It really does feel like, are we really doing that? You must be like trying to do it for a com- comedy mm. bit because it feels so empty if you if there's no irony in that. Yeah. And it's and it's one of those classic Doctor Who convenient ending solutions that came that come out of nowhere. And you figure it out really early as well, because they try to seed it in the story, but by episode two, you know where they're going. Yeah. Right. Let's move on from best scream and have the best side character. <laughs> side character? I don't know <laughs> the why. best voice break. I don't know, uh, no, that was done deliberately. I don't know why I added in a question mark. Was, <laughs> it just did. Is, 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 it, is it questionable, your choice? I don't think so. I mean, it's one which comes back. I think... The, the good news of this award is there's quite a few contenders mm. for this season. One thing I'll give it is that side character's been good. Yeah. I think the issue this season had in terms of the companions is that the side characters tended to be so good they overshadowed the companions. Yeah. Or I think you could say the flip, that perhaps they put too much story with the side characters and, and forgot about Jamie and Victoria in certain places. But when the characters are good you want them to have more time in the story anyway. Yeah. So it works both ways. Uh, and who and who have you gone for? Because I have a feeling you've gone with one, but I've kind of deliberately tried to not. I went Because f- I had a feeling you would. I went for would. Brig. Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah, I thought you would. Brigadier, I mean, he's brilliant. Yeah. And you understand why he immediately becomes a fan favourite in this show. Yeah, he, he's... I'm going to say, go out and say, for longest lasting character, excluding the Doctor, he is for one which still... In back in the classics, would go and meet every single doctor. We, he even came mm. back during Sarah Jane Adventures. He only, he sadly passed before he could be in any new who, but he's still carrying on in Big Finish and meeting all those doctors again. And there's no other side character, let alone companion, which has that sort of legacy. Now, you could potentially argue which, um, which Sarah Jane does, but even then. She's up there. But even absolutely. as a side character. Sarah Jane's the best companion yeah. generally. But with, with Brig, the, the the legacy of him you can weigh up by the fact that even in Flux, in the latest Who, he is still getting mentioned when we're having that whole sequence where um the Grand Serpent infiltrates unit throughout um the fifth episode of Flux. And the fact he still gets a mention tells you the fact that they felt that they had to put him in because you can't bring up unit without bringing him up in some way. Yeah. He is integral to the mythos of the show in a way that no other side character ever was. But in terms of the way he is in Web of Fear, he, it's just the wit and that sense of a past and that sense of a bit of 
life experience that you get. It feels like he's lived way before that sh- that episode, which is such a good mark of a character, where you can imagine them in other situations really easily. Uh, yeah, but before we run out of time, you said you went with someone different. I did, but it is from Web of Fear as well. And I've gone with um, Evans. I really don't think people talk a lot about Evans. I, I know you would focus on the Briggs, so I thought I'd give Evans a, a shout. Um, he is a really smarmy guy. He, they managed to tune him perfectly. Because I feel like if they mm. went a little bit over to one side, he would have been very annoying. But they managed to toe yeah. that line perfectly. Because it's he's annoying and he's cowardly and he's all things, but you but you do relate to it. That's mm. the trick. Is he makes you question? Ah, but then again, I would probably do something similar. And that's that's a mark of when a writer is walking that tightrope just right between the good and the bad. And he's just a really interesting character to watch. Also, the Welsh accent is instantly memorable on him and really helps. Yeah, he's a great character. Enjoy him. So as we get played out. It's time to go from the best side character to the best person wanting to kill those side characters. It is the best baddie award. We normally say it's clean for Daleks, but we don't need to say it this time. <laughs> There's no Daleks. <laughs> yeah, we won't have Daleks now until... How many seasons have we got without Daleks to come? Like five? I think it is either first or second per we. So one or two. Oh yeah, probably... Oh yeah, not that long then. Still though, we have this sort of Dalek lull. Um, there's a couple of decent contenders this season. Obviously, the Ice Warriors were introduced. You have those Seaweed Fury of the Deep things, which are kind of interesting. Um, but I have gone for Salamander because it's just good fun watching Patrick Troughton do something different and ham it up. Yeah, I agree. Um, Patrick Troughton is just going for it. I think I said at the time, I never really understood the term chewing up for scenery until I saw his performance in that episode. Yeah, it's mental. But it's not, it's not meant to support you think it's annoying. It, it's kind of hammy in the best way possible. You can enjoy it for what it is. It's Trout and having fun. Yeah. I went... And he's quite a smart character. Yeah. Good decisions. I went with someone slightly differently just to mix it up a bit here, but I still very much agree. In fact, I've got this person slash Salamander. Okay, yeah. It's kind of yeah, co-op Just award. to add a little bit of flavour to it. I went for for Yeti slash for great intelligence because i think their power play yeah. for twisting for you don't know who's who, who for great intelligence is controlling it was such a long play and it landed so well i think it's the only six the only episode this season which used for six parts so well because of that great power play of yeah. oh who who's who's not with us and I think as well, if we'd if we'd been able to watch Abominable Snowman, which is one of the lost episodes in this season where we in, we get introduced to the Yeti and the Great Intelligence, I think we'd probably be saying it was the best one because you would have had the backstory more in front of you, we'd have been able to properly see how that was. But what you get from at least what they tell you about the context of that episode and the Web of Fear generally is you get a villain that generally has a plan and makes you wonder if they're going to get out. The fact that the Doctor ends up being unhappy with solving the issue is a testament to the fact the Great Intelligence and the Yeti know what they're doing, and it's a serious threat. A bit like how Captain Blade was in the last season, and and that's the mark of a good villain, when they really put a threat down. So it's slightly, as always, for some reason, I still haven't fixed this every single time we do this recording, I notice it and still don't fix it. The next one is in the wrong place, but looking at the best baddie, it's time for the worst baddie in our document. Mm. So who did you go for? 
Now, um, it's from Tomb of the Cybermen, but it's not the Cybermen. I forgot about who you're going to choose. You've just reminded me about their existence. And goodness me, what a waste of an idea this is, folks. Uh, if you've watched Tomb of the Cybermen um, or listened to our podcast on it, you'll know about the Cybermats, who are essentially mini kind of Roomba Cybermen who mow around and cause sort of mild havoc. They're just really underwhelming. There's not much else to say. They're not really that funny. They're not they're anything. Not, they just kind of they're hang not around. used, are they? They they're there, but they're really easily defeated. We've never given any reason to believe their state other than going, "Oh, they're a threat," and that, that's it. We don't know anything hmm. else about them. You sort of led to assume, oh, because it's a Cyberman thing, it inevitably has to be as good as a Cyberman. In reality, it's like. Um, you know those um you know those portal turrets mm-hmm. out of the portal games. Like imagine the cuteness of the turret with absolutely none yeah. of the threat. It just feels like they're there for like like if it was the nineties, you'd have accused Doctor Who of trying to make toy merchandise by making the Cybermats so that people could put them in their house and they move around. Well, I mean maybe. they did inspire a building in Scotland. So there you go. <laughs> which building? I didn't is that? actually inspire it, but there's a building in Scotland which looks very much like a Cybermat. I don't know what it's called, and every single time I look, I go past, it, I go, "Ha You just it's call a it the Cybermat, Cybermat building. Yeah, I'll send you a photo of it. I mean, to be fair, you, you do that in London all the time. I mean, there's the there's, like, there's the walkie-talkie, there's the cheese grater, there's the gherkin, which isn't the name of it. It's got You've some got quite bland Borg name, cube. but everyone calls it that. Which yeah. is for US Embassy, and it just looks like a Borg cube. Yeah, the Borg cube. <laughs> it does look like a Borg cube. I should I should head over to the US Embassy more often just to, to take pictures of that. But map, as though. I said, some weird As I was saying, though, I forgot about Simon Matts were a thing. That's how memorable they are. I put down, for, for <laughs> in, in my form, the Ice Warriors. Mm, I, can, I can see why because, you got that. Quite frankly, they annoyed me. They. How they spoke took forever. It was just... Oh, yeah, they had the really slow voicing. It went forever. And and that just grinded me. They didn't really do much. Hmm. It's a four-part story, but because of the... It's actually six. So that's why I went with them, just because they annoyed me, quite frankly. Like, I agree with you, Simon Matts are worse, but I forgot they existed because they were so much worse. It, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for annoyance, I'd probably go there. The Cybermats aren't sort of annoying. They're just, yeah. you inherently question why on earth they were ever there in the first place. It's just a really odd idea that wasn't executed well at yeah. all. So, next, the next one is for one which is in for the wrong place in our document and always confuses us every single time. It is yes. the thing our baddies are trying to get to the top. They're trying to get this reward. It is for best death. It is the one that everyone contends for. We've had some classic best deaths from the man who um, dies with a Wilhelm screen and keys of Marinus to uh, that guy in the rescue literally just walking out of a door uh, <laughs> and, and yeeting himself off the thing. There, there have been some classics over the years. There's the whole faceless one's deaths, which are really effective. But but what about this year? Who takes the title this season? Owen. Uh, the anti-scientist dude who gets killed by the Ice Warriors purely because, much like the Ice Warriors, he annoyed the shit out of me. And that is exactly what I've gone for because it's funny to watch him die. (laughs) Amazingly, Doctor Who has managed to make a side character which is so annoying, we're just celebrating his death. 
Here's the question. Can you remember that guy's name? Because I had to look it up. So I'm not saying that I do, but I'm just wondering if no. you do. I'll, I'll quote to you what... Because every time we do for end season, what happens, I send James and myself a form to fill all these things in. That's why I say some things from the wrong yeah. order because I keep forgetting to fix it. Um, this is what I put. The anti-scientist dude in the Ice Warriors. The anti-scientist dude. Yeah, because the whole thing about the Ice Warriors is you've got these pro-scientists and anti-scientists fighting out and... Uh, if only it was a COVID metaphor, it would have been more interesting. Um, but yeah, the guy is called Store. Not Store as in Superstore, but S-T-O-double-R. So it rhymes with Nor as in the stock yeah. news. But yeah, no, he, that that's why I chose it. Because once again, he annoyed me into hating him. And <laughs> Didn't he spend the time being like... It's kind of like Klee, isn't it? Because there was Klee and two of the Cybermen who spends the whole time going, but we freed them, so surely they must form an alliance it, with us. Because he's a logician. It's very much like your favourite character... In Evil of Simon, Evil of the Daleks, uh, uh, the man Maxwell. who wants to transmutate uh, yeah, it, gold. It's the uh, case of, oh look, these people are obviously evil. They've done obviously evil things in front of them, but I'm going to go and just believe everything they say anyway. Well, hey, because they will give me the thing. The thing with the store that makes it even more stupid is there's no real benefit to it other than, well, I'll be fine. I'll just chat to them. They'll be reasonable. Yeah. And he's probably so annoying when they chat to them that the Ice Warriors decide to be reasonable and kill him for yeah, us. Which... So very reasonable yeah. from them. That's why I didn't give them best baddie. Sorry, worst baddie, because at least they did yeah, that. I know. yeah. I have to give him respect for killing a guy that's just yeah. kind of annoying. Hmm. Is, does that get like the ultimate best Etar, though? Because I still think it's the rescue. That really is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Salamanders yeah. this year, this season as yeah. well, is a good shout. Right. So... I'm trying to think of a good way to lead in for this one. <laughs> a segue. So, that was for best death. But what about the thing which made us want to die? The expectation failure. That was expectation awful, failure. Uh, I'm going with that it. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> for you listeners out there that are already cringing at it, it's the, it's the one moment this season where we thought something was going to be good and then it promptly wasn't. Uh, which happens a lot in Who. Um, so we're used to some kind of expectation failure. And the worst one this season, at least for me, is the entirety of Fury from the Deep. Ooh, why is that? So, the first episode of Fury from the Deep actually sets up a decent sort of story. So you've got this these kind of unknown things going on. You've got didn't this interesting setting with the oil first refinery. Part of that story essentially didn't need to exist. It didn't need to exist, but you get the yeah. mood of it. And then the second part, you build some story in, and then you've got that stuff with Mrs. Harris, and then there's the two sort of not Home Alone guys, the Home Alone guys, if they weren't yeah. funny um, guys, and they're doing all the the gas and everything so you've got these interesting setups and interesting scenarios and you think okay if they pick that up from the first two episodes you might have something quite interesting here like something that's maybe unsettling got a bit of a horror vibe to it and then it completely abandons those principles has two or three episodes where literally nothing happens it gets exchanged with this really generic like like not rememberable at all use of the issues and then it's solved by Victoria just screaming around which is not a credible solution for any story so it could have gone somewhere and i think that's why it's even more annoying that it doesn't go anywhere so for me my expectation failure is for similar reasons it is the enemy of the world 
I oh, love, okay. I like this story because it's a sort of story I like. It's a political intrigue. It's political ha- goings mm. on, all that stuff. But even then, I kind of have to be honest here and go, it sets up, in that first episode, it is an epic action sequences. We've got a, f- a use for helicopters, mm. we've got people killing each other. There's the hovercraft yeah. as well, the beach. We've got and- all of this action, 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 going on, going on, going on, going on. And then after that point, we just go, political intrigue. <laughs> it's a bit like um you know star wars the phantom menace <laughs> yeah where they do the trailers and you've got like darth maul with the, the double lightsaber and you think oh yeah but then that's the only action in the movie and it's mainly just council meetings yeah. uh, <laughs> they have discussions about like wasn't it like the trade federation I remember and nabu are having an issue and that's the whole story but yeah no that that's what i went for because of that reason it it leads I can remember saying to you, because I watched it by mistake slightly, I said to you, this episode seems really good. It's really action It's really fun. And then as soon as we went... Yeah, that's what you said to me. I was and like, as soon yeah. as we went past that first episode, I was like, again, this is still good. I'm still enjoying it. But it's also not what I, I expected. There's also, I think one of the issues with Enemy of the World is there's too many goddamn characters. Yes. I think they, they just overstuff it a bit. Because you've got that Denesh guy... And then there's the the really annoying sort of salamander guy that just wants to kill everyone. And then there's that that taster that is like smart, but then just dies and really ridiculously. It's just a lot happening, and there's too much intrigue that you really lose following, and it kind of becomes this mess. But it's not the worst episode of the season. No, but thinking, speaking of the worst things in this season, what do you reckon is the worst? Yeah, I, I led you into that. The worst thing the Doctor did. Worst thing the Doctor did. Um, tell you what, sticking on Enemy of the World, actually. If, yeah. you, if we can keep talking yeah. about that. There is a phenomenal sequence towards the end of <laughs> Enemy of the World in which the Doctor, for inexplicable reasons, decides to pretend to be Salamander and basically threaten to kill both of his companions because it was funny. I forgot. I didn't have anything in that box. I completely forgot of a thing to put in there. But I agree. That is the worst thing the Doctor did. It's not as bad as obviously um, a phrase which Owen has informed me I'm not allowed to use too much, but triple genocide. Uh, but it's it's not great. Yeah, it it's just for Doctor needlessly piss it, um, terrifying his companions for no good reason. It's the best way to explain it. Yes, it's almost. It, I I think the best way to view it is it's a throwback to the William Hartnell era. Yeah. When the Doctor would do something terrible most episodes, whereas now he just sort of does funny things. But even then, that's a little yeah. bit weird. But it's not as bad as chesting Jamie no. from last season. But the worst thing the Doctor did, the worst thing the Doctor production team did, it is time for let's wreck on this now. The worst thing which happened. These segues are getting ropier and ropier <laughs> as we go. <laughs> this is why I shouldn't be in They're charge. They're getting of loose. <laughs> so loosely so these are the things which we believe should never have happened this season so in previous years it has been for Doctor threatening to chuck out Ian out of TARDIS we've had other things which I cannot remember because my memory is terrible but what have you gone with this time round James Victoria Waterfield completely <laughs> just, just rip her out because <laughs> most of the problems this season unfortunately stem from victoria yeah you've got the issue with the character itself you've got the love story aspect which doesn't work in any way 
and the stories slow down when she's involved. Like, even in the Ice Warriors, where she sort of has something to do, where she gets kidnapped, and then she has to sort of get to know them, we get exposition off them. It's a bit rubbish there. She's just such a flat character that they never got the chance to explore or really wanted to. You had potential there, and there's just no use, much like we had with Polly and Dodo and, and all the other female characters before. So I've been a little bit more specific, but it's also Victoria-related. Okay, that's fine. Victoria's scream saving the world. We've mentioned it already. Yeah, it's a I... terrible story end. We don't know if it was an in-joke or whether it was just bad writing. But either way, it's terrible. Is that actually the worst thing in that story, though? Because I still think all of Victoria's end scenes are just so ludicrously hammy when they when they sell the love story in and they're like, oh, but Jamie, I don't want to go. Oh, it's fine. You should go. Yeah, and it... I think that's the worst thing just because that's based on what was how the story resolves itself. The other things... Oh, exactly, the, yeah. It's other bollocks. things are there, but they're not necessarily uh, key to the story. Rather, mm. well, this is. And I know while it is sort of hinted at as the story goes on, it still feels like we're not quite sure if it's a terrible in-joke or not, which kind of makes it feel bad. And I, I just don't really want it to exist. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're having to question whether they've gone something for comedic effect, either you've done a bad joke or it's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't win either way. So that's it. That... Yeah, I can fully agree with that. So that's it for our rewards. I, we didn't have that many disagreements. I'm quite upset. No, I thought we were going to disagree more, but I suppose that when you get down to it, it's that the good things are obvious, but also the problems are very yeah. obvious. And I also noticed which, and we're both a lot of the time when we mention bad things, we disagree. They're still tangentially noticeable and related in some way. Mm. Yeah, it's just, just, it's just a series of problems. The, the, but the pro- and, and the issue is they stem from similar places mm. where the problems have occurred in other series and you do hope as you go on or as we go on go through this that these problems resolve themselves and there's a different approach but at the moment it's not happening it's just the stories feel a little bit paint by numbers at this point yeah and the six part thing yeah interesting choice for this series not sure whether it worked so speaking about the stories of this episode I'm going to try it as a segue and it will be awful that was not the worst Speak- segue we've had, but it's a segue. Speaking of the stories and how they rank, let's rank the stories. Well, hey. Yes, beginning. Are we going to go worst of to course. best? Of course. Let's start with misery and leading to joy. As usual. Yes. Shall, shall, shall you begin, Owen, and, and give us your worst of the season? It, it the may cause some fury. It's fury from the deep. Honestly, the, the, listeners, this man works in professional radio. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. He works in radio. <laughs> Not behind the microphone for reasons you can probably no, tell. No, he doesn't. But he, <laughs> he sees people do it every day and he still hasn't thought, maybe I should do that. Uh, yeah, no, um, it's also my, my worst is Fury from the Deep. And it's because of the squandered opportunities, the terrible pacing, and that end episode is pretty much a disaster from start to finish. Yeah. Everything in it, that's wrong. Like, if it cut out half the episodes, I feel like it'd be leading towards the middle of this leaderboard. But even then, mm. it's still not going to be best. It's just so flaky. They never quite know where to go. 
and everything and everything yeah. seems to take an episode or two too long to resolve itself. Yes, it is. It is a bit of a mess, unfortunately. Yeah. Do you want to go for the next one, James? Uh, yeah, my number four is the Ice Warriors, and the reason for that is that the episode. It's almost like a four-parter, or even 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 a three-parter at times, squeezed into six. It, yeah. It's just so much filler and so much fluff. It's like you know the story is encased in the ice, but we haven't removed it from the ice. All the ice is around it, and there's just nothing but water. It, it's kind of yeah. a flavorless I've... story. Very boringly, I've gone for the same option. Oh, man. Well, I, I thought it was obvious because this was the this was the podcast we infamously had so little to say about. We just had to stop it midway <laughs> when we were doing the recording because yeah. we just found ourselves repeating um, everything we'd gone over. Yeah, I I went for the same thing just because it's not as it's got all the problems which View of the Deep have, but just not as bad. I think it's the best way to put it. Yeah, I could go with that. It's Fury from the Deep feels like there's active problems, whereas the Ice Warriors just feels like there's inactive stuff. Like, there's just not a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, and it's... Honestly, the episode's just annoying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the there's the really slow Ice Warriors dialogue, which just... It, it's, it's grating and time-consuming. Victoria doesn't do anything. The solution is really Deus Ex Machina. It's like Ionizer, don't they? Which just sort of solves everything, yeah. because why not? And we've also got for com- constant requesting for computer for its input, and it's just tiring. But even then, it's still somehow not as bad as Fear of the Deep, which is just slow and nothing. Yeah, happens. I mean, I didn't mind the, the sort of the thematic thing they were going for with the computer. I thought the theming was good, but it, it was really obvious. Like, they, they played it into what you would expect, and it didn't feel very subversive or challenging. It was just kind of, oh, it's the computer versus the man. And you get the same response you usually get. <laughs> Yeah. I'm getting a bad feeling our ranking here is going to be the exact same. I'm getting one as well. Uh, What's your number three? Don't let me down. The enemy of the world. (sighs) Fucking hell. Yeah, this ain't ain't good. Yeah. Uh, It's for the things which I said before. Like, I liked it because I like political intrigue. But I also realise I'm not for main audience for, for that sort of thing like doctor who needs to have a little bit of crash bang wall a little bit of action here that here and there mm. some sciencey stuff going on but it's just political intrigue patrick troughton is having the time of his life playing salamander which i love mm. but equally for companions don't do much we have a weird human in the, in the cavers again as yeah that thing is mental <laughs> and yeah I don't know, what, what did you think about it? I think quite similar to you, when you say that a good Doctor Who story has a blend of things, Enemy of the World tries to blend all those things together, but just doesn't do it correctly. You've kind of got all the action lumped in one part, and then it's all the political intrigue, and then there's the big twist, and there's all the ludicrous stuff with the cave, going on and on and on and on. And like you were saying, it doesn't really add up to a story that feels hooey. There's like bits of this and bits of that, they don't quite mash together. Trout and the Salamander is great, and there's a few good bits in it, and I like that initial action sequence, but it doesn't add up to being a, a, a really good story. It's, it's solid, but it's not brilliant. So, our second place. 
right. Are you going to do a drum roll? I've got, I've got the wooden... Oh, we've got one on the soundboard. Jesus, it's a whole new world. Uh, Just let it run. Team of a side man. Oh, it's mine as well. Yay! Oh, yes, we are in firm agreement. Like I said, listeners, professional radio, this man. Um, <laughs> we are we are witnessing the work yeah. of an industry titan. <laughs> what, what do you think, Team of the Cybermen, yeah. then? Because it's, it's a good episode. It's, it's a good fun. It's a good episode. It's the most iconic from this season for a reason. It's very good. Imaging for pacing, all right. I just feel that it's let down once again, like most of this season, by just being a bit forgettable. Yeah, it's more memorable than some of the others. I mean, Klieg and the Logicians and um, all of that is quite memorable. You've got the whole stuff with the, with the spaceship and the pilot and trying to repair that. There's the only good thing Victoria does, which is that conversation um, involving Group of the Doctor, which is good. Jamie is a bit more action-packed than he is in the other episodes. Um, and the Cybermen are always fun. So it's a good watch in that respect. And I think it's telling that this is the only episode that wasn't a six-parter this season because it does feel nice and quick and the mm. rhythm that we've grown to like with four. Um, and I wish there were more fours this episode. I mean, there's a couple of stories that could be fours. Yeah, it's the same for me. It's Oddly enough, I don't think it's that amazing. I think it just says more about the other stories this season. Yeah, it's good but it doesn't reach the, the top level. It's well-remembered, and it is a decent watch. It's worth your time, but... It's it's a nice, unique Sidemen story, which we haven't had really mm. yet. Also, we get to go to Telos, which is a nice setting, actually. Yeah. I'm a fair fan of that one. Yeah. So, our first place goes to... Well, we all know now. Take it away, James. It is... The Web of Fear. And it had to be, really. It's it's the definite standout this season. It's it's the one where all of these elements come together the best. It is the most interesting episode, where we've got the most interesting characters, the most interesting setting, the most interesting baddie, and we've also got a fun twist at the end of who, who the traitor is, which is always fun, and it's done really well to the point where you generally don't know who the bad guy, who was the traitor, because I was wrong throughout the entire episode thinking mm. which it was for Professor's daughter. It's really, yeah, I remember thinking it was Anne. It's a really impressive episode in the way that it manages to combine a lot of different genres into Who. There's that whole sort of horror element with the, the intelligence and the sort of the underground setting. There's a little bit of a media thing angle going on with Chorley, the journalist, who's very um, kind of vociferous, wants to get stories at the cost of everything. And you have the whodunit aspect, which runs through the whole story. So there's a lot going on, but it doesn't feel like you're trying to follow all the aspects. It's just very well put together that it all runs on as, as one coherent story. Yeah, which is better than I can say for most episodes this season, sadly. Yes, and also Gordon Lethbridge too, which yes. is an automatic win that's two or three out of ten alone for him yeah so that's that's our ranking for these episodes as a quick summary how does this affect your season rankings james that's a good question because i forgot to do that so if you give me one moment 
cool. While James does that, I'll do some <laughs> filling because I'm a radio professional. So Shut this up. Se- <laughs> so this season, as I was saying, was a difficult one for me. It's because we've got we do have for good production values there, which we were missing back in the William Hartnell days. But we also have some familiar issues which we had back then of the pacing stuff. The characters aren't quite there sometimes, even though largely I think they were quite good. So I, for me, I put this smack bang middle as in third place. So it, yeah. just, just a reminder of my rankings. Uh, we've got last place, season two. Mm. Fourth place, season three. Third place, season five. Second place, season one. And first place, last season. Yes, and you'll be pleased to know I have sorted the ranking out now because uh, it's quite obvious. And I've actually done the exact same thing Owen's done. Uh, it's just in the middle. I did think about putting it lower than three, but three does have the gunfighters in it. So based on my hatred for that, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna push this up slightly more. It's like I was saying at the start. It's a very mixed bag this season. There's obvious things that do work. There's obvious things that don't, and it feels sort of like. Who at its average, so to speak? Yeah. It felt like a very average season because it was the sum of the good and the bad that led to it feeling kind of middle of the road, didn't mind it, but also you've got the problems that are very obvious to resolve. It's the most irritating season for me because all of the stories, really, have got elements of a good Doctor Who episode. Mm. But they just, all of them seem slightly too stretched out. Yeah, I just think it's the six-part thing is what takes the, the, a lot of these stories down. They feel too slow, too bloated, and and th- they've never figured out how to use all of that time. When you limit the writers down to like the 90 minutes or 100 minutes that the four-parts roughly are, they feel just so much more solid. When you've got 150 minutes, it's like they don't really do much more story and they just sort of, oh, we'll explore the characters, but they don't do it in, in advance of the plot, and so you feel like you've got a slow narrative. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, which people say, which if you've got, if you're handing in a script or something, if a writer's handing a script to a producer, the producer should always ask the writer to shorten it down by X amount of time to condense it to make it as best as possible. It feels like they haven't done that. Yes. The, the thing I learned, I've learned doing script writing mainly, and probably the most important thing if you do want to write, is make sure everything you write is actually achieving something. And moves the plot along because anything that doesn't needs to go regardless of how much you like it so that brings us to the end of the end this season's end of season what happened as in as we end all episodes let's rank our let's give this season a score out of 10 james well i said middle of the road so i'll go middle of the road i think it's a five you, you could argue a six for some episodes the web of fear is is a good one to note, but then you get stories like Fury from the Deep and Ice Warriors to less of an extent. So it's slap bang in the middle. It, it isn't quite getting to to a good level, but it isn't quite down there where I think it was a poor season either. I am going to be controversial. First thing I've disagreed with, I'm going to give it a four. Oh, you're going low. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd actually go higher. I'm quite surprised by that. Not because it's a bad season it's just as i was saying at the very beginning to pull this episode full circle everything which we watched last season feels like in my memory it happens we watched them more recently Mm -hmm. even though i know 
evidently we didn't. And for me, that it just means that every this season as a whole has had good points. Like Weber Fit is good. For Tomb of Sidemen has good elements. Enemy of the World is fun action, at least at the beginning. And fun political intrigue. Yeah. They don't really marry. But even then, the faceless one feels like it happened sooner. But when I started watching that halfway through last last year, mm. the evil of the Daleks feels sooner. And we did that in early months, September. Months ago, yeah. Late September. And just all of these things just mean which it just feels like this entire season has just been forgettable. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. It's a season that could have been memorable and succeeds in not really staying in your head. Yeah. Much like this podcast. I was just about Thank to say you. that. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to our end of season What Happened. This episode has been a little bit of an experiment. We're using different recording software, so I hope it sounded all good and I hope yes. you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch, tell us your rankings for this season by tweeting us at Black Archive Pod, or if you're the old school, you can email us. James, what is the email? Uh, that is blackarchivepod at gmail.com. And if you want to keep in touch with what we're doing uh, or follow us along for season six, which we're starting in very not long at all, um, then you want to follow us wherever you get your podcast. So just hit the subscribe button on your relevant platform now if you fancy it. And if you're doing that, why don't you also give us a review and mm. a star rating? It because helps the out. algorithm just 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 loves that. Just eats that shit up. Oh, the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an ice warrior just entered the call? Jeez. Can't believe they can hack this. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>